Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am uh, shocked and impressed to say that I have Tim Worthington over my house. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. G- glad to make it here. So um, I figured before we do anything, I might as well poison you with some absinthe, because I always talk about this, and uh, I don't think I've ever done it on camera before. So uh, we got big-ass ice cubes. <coughs> got my favorite brand, Clandestine. I'm trying to hold a bunch of these. And uh, if we were super fancy, what you would do is drip it over the ice, like one drip at a time. And it's kind of neat because you see it like it starts out one color and it ends up another. Let's see. uh, I won't do mine as fancy. All right. So some of them are green. This is clear. But you got to try a sip of it now before it like activates. And then you kind of just let this sit for a while. Yeah. And uh, you'll know it's ready because it's going to completely yeah. change color. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, what a fucking way to start the interview, all right? <laughs> so, um, well, I'm pretty sure everybody everybody listening knows who you are, but I think we should go through it anyway for those of us who don't or for anybody who missed the first interview, which, you know, anytime you do something over Skype, there's that long delay and, you know, everything. So uh, you are Tim from Australia who makes a ton of fucking awesome products like the NES RGB, the N64 RGB, and the Atari one. Uh, but where where did you get started with all this stuff? I mean, how did you just jump into all these cool mods? Oh, well, <clears throat> I started pretty much with the SMS, the FM board for the Master System. That was my first one. It was mm-hmm. sort of just... I really wanted one, but they were very difficult to get. Uh, uh, you could there's a there was only available for the Japanese Mark III, and it was a, a mad on for that. And I wanted one for my master system, so I thought I'll just copy the design, mm-hmm. and while I designed it, I'd, I'd make it available for other people. And I started assembling them, and I made something like fifty or so over the over a long time, and sold them on forums. Mm-hmm. And that was not meant to be a business or anything; it was just a, a something to do. And um, it was quite popular, and and people kept asking me for it, even when I said, no, I don't sell them anymore, I'm not interested. And I was doing it all by hand. I was making the boards by hand with etching and so on and, mm-hmm. and populating by hand, and it was very labor-intensive. So I just thought, I've had enough of this. and, and um, But people kept asking for them. And then I also had a similar thing for the Game Gear, the Game Gear TV one. Right, I remember that. I still have that. Um, originally, it was... DIY project where you have to stack the chips on top of each other in a certain way. Mm-hmm. It's a very complicated 3D design to cram it all in a little space underneath the cartridge slot. And um, it, again, a lot of people tried to build that and they, they didn't get it right. It didn't work and I had to do a lot of. Anyway, I just thought, okay, I'm going to make both of these into a product and actually proper PCB. And 
I didn't get them assembled. I still assembling by hand, but I thought, okay, I'll just make a, again, an actual manufactured board. That was kind of interesting. So I did that and uh, I sold them for a little while and eventually I thought this is getting, this, I'm selling more and more of these things. I should turn this into a business of, sorts, of some sort. So mm. um, that's when I went onto the arcade, the Scar to Jammer. That was the, um, the first real product when it was, I became an actual business. Mm-hmm. But, um, now that, that Scart to Jamma adapter, um, you're, we'll talk about the new one you got in a, in a little bit, but the mm-hmm. original one was just basically ways for people that wanted to get RGBS into an arcade machine, essentially, right? Yes, it just, yeah, it was a video and audio amplifier. Mm-hmm. It was also supposed to have controls or expandable control section, but, well, the very first one, uh, the version one, it, was, it only had terminal box around it, so it was mm-hmm. just to do whatever you like type of thing. And I made a version two, um, which it was supposed to have an extendable controller, modular controller type of system, but it it didn't work very well. And it, it I just sort of think, well, it's not going to, it doesn't work as well as I thought it would. And I, I didn't, I didn't pursue that project any further. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that's a pretty cool project. And uh, so, I guess we'll we don't have to go chronologically here. So that you stopped making that for a long time. And then you, re- or or maybe if you didn't make it, the project stayed the same for a long time. Well, I didn't. I decided it wasn't really worth. I I didn't like it. I wasn't happy with it, and I mm-hmm. really didn't have the ability to make it any better at that time. Mm-hmm. So, or I didn't. Yeah, I didn't didn't think it was worth worthwhile at putting more time into it. So I made the the PlayStation Two controller expansion part for it, and then I sort of put it aside. And you, I could never. I at that point. I I don't remember if I had the shop yet or not. I don't think I did. I think you had to email me. I was doing everything by email for a long time. Um, and you could email from me and, and buy through it that way. And it was, yeah, just, just the PlayStation 2 and I had a, a few terminal block things and stuff like that. Hmm. So the, the current one, though, I mean, that one is not only an evolution of that, but you also have the control board for it as well, right? Oh, so- uh, well... The, the current version of, the, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've decided to come back to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, it's a project which has always been in my mind and I've always wanted to, to pick it up again because I've, I've had several other projects in the meantime. But they usually take priority and this is the one that sort of sits on the back burner waiting for a spot of development time that I can tackle it. Um, it. It's been, I've had lots of iterations of different ideas and I've got all these different prototypes that I've made and... That I'm not happy with. <laughs> so it's something that, yeah, I, I, I haven't, I've got, I, 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 yeah, the current version is basically a, a video and audio amplifier on a board um, and a separate controller section. The controller mm-hmm. section is separate and it has the jammer connector on it. And it will be, more, so the this is quite complicated because some arcade machines now and going forward, they're going to have less CRTs. They're going to be more LCD based, I think. Right. So I have to plan for that. And so in that case, you wouldn't really need a video amplifier. You would have a scaler or something like that in there, which would be some other product. Right. So the idea is to accommodate the controls and to accommodate the video and one or the other or both if necessary. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I, it, Products like this, in my experience, have been those that you sell the least of. Usually, not you know, not necessarily you, but everybody would sell the least of. But 
the people that buy them are the most happy because there's yes. just it solves such a niche problem that there's no other easy way to solve. Yeah. You can make your own and stuff like that, but from the the video side of things, at the very least now, like the the Mister Crew would love to have an easy way to just integrate it into JAMA. And there's people working on JAMA adapters and stuff, but just this alone, now you could integrate it right into an arcade machine, no problem. And of course, the controller one is stuff that I've gotten emails about this since the day I started the website that. I never really understand, but it's, you know, it's basically being able to utilize different controllers for different, or uh, one controller for different consoles, so that means you could have a whole bunch of consoles inside your arcade machine, switch between them, and have the arcade controls still control the console, right? That's the idea, yes. Uh, so that I, that's another problem that I don't quite get, but I'm sure there's people right now listening going, fuck you, this is what I need, so, <laughs> so respect to you, you get your product. By the way, it's uh, it's oh, pretty yeah, much it's ready. Yeah, yeah, so, right. yeah, totally different taste now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd ever say it's tasted good. This yeah, is probably it's, the, it's, it's it's got a very distinctive taste. Yeah, this is the best I've ever tasted out of all the absents. I've tried many of them, but uh, uh, this is one of the few that I actually enjoy drinking. And of mm. course, you know, makes you feel quite nice after following it up with some beers. So. Yeah. Um, so I guess to jump back then the uh, the arcade stuff which is always incredibly appreciated aside you had the FM module for the SMS which I think could still even be implemented inside like a power base converter um, the, Renee did the uh, power base FM so it's probably easier for most people to pick that up now but yes, uh, people have asked me to how, how do we wire it into the um, converter and I I think I did write about it somewhere but yeah it can be done it's mm -hmm. not, not a big problem it's just a bit of a manual wiring job because it doesn't doesn't plug in. Right. Yeah. You'd have to solder the uh, the the points manually and stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty awesome because when I first saw that, I, that's what made me ask what SMS FM audio was when I saw your adapter. I didn't even know it existed, so I saw yours, and that's what pushed me to do the research and everything else. But I mean, that was pretty awesome. So you just copied the circuit right out of the MK2000 Japanese SMS, right? The original version was a direct copy. There was no design work. Oh, yeah, I think it was a direct copy. There was nothing involved in that, um, except to mate it to a different uh, connector. But um, the the newer version had, I condensed all the logic into a single programmable logic chip. And then I added the FM, the, the region switching, because prior to that, people were doing a very horrible mod which required the shorting of an IO chip output and it, a lot of current would flow. It did switch the region sometimes. <laughs> it, it only worked about half the time, but it did did work sometimes, And but it required a, like a lot of something in the order of ten, hundreds of milliamps would flow through this IO pin output it just con continuously. Um, that's terrible. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I implemented a version. Uh, that was to get the... The FM working on Wonder Boy, um, the Dragon's Trap, the Wonder Boy Three. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it has very temperamental FM detection routine, which requires a lot of things to be just right to work. Yeah, so it's funny because um, you were one of the people that was always incredibly patient with me. So thank you very much. But my my job in all of this has always been to be the middleman, which is kind of funny because if you trace back my career, it's always sort of to be the middleman, but. It was people like you and uh, and Steve from HD Retrovision. I don't know how he hasn't punched me in the face yet after all these years, but that really walked me through a lot of the steps of 
just because it works doesn't mean it's okay to do it. Mm. So, you know, you can stick your finger in a lead socket and not die, but you shouldn't do it all the time. You know, so the things like adding voltage to the pin in order to trip it into different modes, like there are so many things that when they f those mods first appeared on the forums 10, 15 years ago that people were so excited about. I'm so glad there's people out there with enough guts to stand up and say, no, stop it. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't even work all the time. That's the problem. And, and actually, neither does the one I implemented on the uh, FM board the first time, or the... the um, the first redesign of the board, that that one doesn't work either all the time, but it's not <laughs> harmful. It won't break anything because of the way it basically disables the part in the in the mask system as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a delay and it, it doesn't turn off quickly enough. I had a second... Uh, I have been developing this thing for the last over 10 years now. Um, I'm up to version 3 now. I think there have been multiple interim versions, so I think I've done about six different designs mm -hmm. but um it's uh the later ones have a second way of of doing the uh japanese mode which always works okay um it just it requires cutting a trace or i think something like that it's a little bit more involved but it's only i only recommend doing it if the first one doesn't work and the first one will just you just plug it in that should work with it mm -hmm. the switch of the three positions which um fm on japanese um fm on um, export or FM or off, basically just the default mode. Okay. Yeah, one of the things that um, some friends and I have always joked about trying to do is reverse engineer the SMS motherboard so that you basically just take all the important chips and then order the FM chip. Basically, you have something made that has all the off-the-shelf parts in it so that you would, you know, yes, you would need to cannibalize an SMS, but you don't need to throw anything out. Like, you would take the motherboard out, desolder the proprietary chips, save it, hopefully, put it back in the SMS shell and, and fix all the problems that we found over the years. A few people started the project. I don't know if they ever Oh, this is because of all the video um, jail bars and so on, that sort of thing. Yeah, you, you helped me so much with that. And it's still, it, we're just now, almost 10 years later, figuring out exactly what's what. And Zach, it's Voltar, who, um, who said, go fuck yourself, by the way. <laughs> Exactly. Right. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. He uh, he pulled the chip off and uh, and figured out that there was traces going underneath the board on the NTSC versions, right under the chip that had all the interference in it. Oh, it's a terrible sign. Uh, uh, the Powell version, the, the one I have, um, it's it's just a it's sort of optimized to make the worst video quality possible. I've, there's no other console that maybe the Neo Geo, one of those, is, is pretty bad too. But um, mm -hmm. The one I've got is, is really bad. It's got very wide traces and they're very good at picking up capacitively coupled signals from the other side of the board. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing too because it's you would have to be... I mean, if five years ago we pulled this off, I'd be jumping for joy doing backflips, but with things like the triple bypass on the Genesis now, you could have a perfect SMS experience. And if you're using like a ROM cart with the FMS FPGA stuff on there, you could get the FM sound. So it's it's not as... It's not as vital, but it's still something I would like mm. to see whenever people have time to do, because it'd be really neat to have all original everything except the motherboard. <laughs> so. Well, you could do that for any console, really, I mean, if you want to fix it all up. But yeah. uh, you, know, you can usually do the same job with a little bit of modding and maybe a plug-in card or two. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I you mean, could... it does have a nice edge connector. I mean, the SMS one um, has a nice expansion connector for plugging things in. Yeah. And you're 100 percent right. And the only reason, the only reason we talked about it with SMS is because it's more feasible than the rest. Yeah, it doesn't have any 
strict timing requirements or anything like that. Right. Whereas if you really wanted to be, if you wanted to take the time to do something like that, the Genesis one would probably be the best because there's enough space where you could technically put the Genesis chip in there, the SMS FM sound, and the 32X stuff and have one board that does everything. But with all the FPGA implementations now, I don't think anybody would pay the amount. No, no, it's much better to to, do the FPGA version than Mm -hmm. squash it all very nicely into a single chip. Yeah, and not only that, it's better for preservation because that FPGA design could be implemented into future stuff, whereas how many people in the future are going to go, like, 20 years from now, no one's going to say, let's make a motherboard to make my Genesis look better. It's going to be, you know, when we're all plugging into the Matrix, we're going to be based off the other versions, so. Um, So I guess NES RGB, that's where you kind of changed the world with that one. I mean, like, people around the planet now could enjoy clearer Nintendos than they ever could. And it's not something that... I mean, people that have always gamed on CRTs would still appreciate it very much, but anybody that's ever gamed on a flat screen knows how terrible the output of many of those NES consoles were, some motherboard revisions especially. So how the heck did you start get started into that and, and even make something like that happen? Um, that came about when I was uh, looking on the NES dev forums, and I, I st- struck a post by someone who claimed he'd made an RGB mod for the NES, and... It uh, it basically was an sRGB, but there was no technical details, and there was just sort of a, a just I did something. Look at this type of post. So um, uh, there was there's also some other people trying to sort of is this real or you know the typical sort of chatter you get on forums and um and and it didn't wasn't really forthcoming with any technical stuff. But there was a, a post by someone who who posted an excerpt of the patent from the NES. Um, and, and I learned from that that I look, I've, I've downloaded the patent. I never looked at it before, but it's very good. It's got lots of technical information there. And it's got, um, there's a digital output port on the, on the video chip of the NES, the PPU. It, um, it's basically got most of the video data coming out. You do have to turn it on via software. It's, not, it's disabled by default. Mm-hmm. But if you turn it on, it will output most of the video through a just a, I think it's through a, through a bus some four bits wide, but you need the extra fifth bit to get the full video out. So the um, I, I um, read about it and then I sort of described how I think this guy's mod worked, and I asked him, "Is that how it works?" And I got, "Yes, that's how it works." Okay, so now I know how it works. And he he did he said he was not interested in making it into a commercial product. So I thought, okay, I, I can do this. I can um I'll make one of these things. So I started working on it, and um a few months later I had a working prototype. It, it basically it, it it does tricks to get that extra bit out of of the composite video output. So it turns off all the video data from the composite video uh, output except for that extra bit of data. So it's basically a digital output at that point. Oh, so that's why when it's running you don't get simultaneous composite as well. Yes, that's exactly right. That's why it looks like a a monochrome signal. uh, That's the extra bit coming out of the video port. That's pretty awesome. So the the person that did that, were they willing to share their information or were they just kind of... Oh, no, no. I I didn't get any information from them at all. You know what's funny is when I first started the site nine, nine years ago now or something... There was a group of, uh, I'm going to call them old timers. I don't really care how old they are. They could be 20 or they could be 1,000, but 
the a bunch of old timers that get really mad at me. Like, how dare you share this information? How am I supposed to make money on side jobs? Well, if if you're half a decent modder, like that's that's the whole thing. That's like the you know to, to call out my friend because I'm never afraid to throw him in front of the bus. Like that's that's the Voltar thing. He'll show you how to do it. Mm. He'll sell you the chips. But a lot of the stuff most people can't get. Your average person couldn't get to do it as well as he could. So everybody wins. Buy the chips and try it yourself, or hire somebody else to do it. It's like a win-win for everybody, and it kind of cracks me up that there was still that. And I, I don't get it as much as I used to. It was really most of the first couple of years. Like, how dare you share my secrets as if it were their secrets? Just pull up a fucking data sheet, you know, tap RGBS, and there you yeah, go, right? Yeah. Do a circuit around it. But it does kind of crack me up how, how some of that uh, still permeated into it. But it's uh, it's awesome that 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 even exists now, and it's um. You just had a new revision of it be released, so you want to describe a little bit about that and if people can still even get the old revision and why and all that? Um, yeah, I've. it's actually been, I think it. I stuck to the same version for a long time because it was basically fine. Um, I did finally make some changes. Um, I, I, this is the product which I actually had the factory make a special test jig so I didn't have to pay the the machine testing fee every time I produced it. So it was really like I'd, I committed to a, a, a stable version. But um, I did, I changed the video output stage to remove the capacitors on the output. This makes it work better with the Super Nintendo RGB cables. Okay. The ones with the capacitor inside. Okay. So that works fine with them now. Uh, before it would mostly work fine, but it would also, because the two capacitors in series would... Um, it makes the signal distort a little bit, and that can cause problems sometimes. Okay. Um, the second um, feature was requested. Uh, that's the digitter. That basically, uh, the, the NES has a, an interesting feature where it removes a, a pixel from every second frame, mm-hmm. and it does that to make the, S, uh, the, the makes makes the video look um, a bit better on composite video. It, it's just it's just the way it. Um, it's tricky to describe. It it basically it makes the 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 chroma modulation with the the color information getting into the video when you get S video uh, when you get composite video, it makes it move a lot quicker. It doesn't stay stagnant on the screen, and when it moves, it's less objectionable to look at. So it just makes the distortion prettier, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I've but that causes problems with modern TVs. They don't like the video changing every other frame and it, it does make a slightly different length field or different length line at the start so that causes the effect is basically it depends on the TV but some of them some of them have um, they top shakes a little bit or um, the first few lines are not stable they don't sync or it can be a little hooking effect at the top of the screen something like that and of course some capture cards just get a little freaked out because they can't oh understand yeah the signal. yeah capture cards that sort of thing and 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 yeah, um, so that's been corrected basically by sticking an extra pixel in there. Uh, well, by by disabling the clock to the PPU for that duration, for the pixels length duration. So that's something that um, I've never heard. I don't think anybody's explained it exactly the way you just did. And sometimes I don't know why my brain is stubborn. It takes like a few different explanations before it all clicks. But I think I'm finally starting to understand it now. So. From a video quality standpoint, it is imperceptible on both of them, uh, whether the de-jitter is on or off, let's just say, because 
the way we process video, RGB or, or scale, that that wouldn't have any effect at all with that, right? Mm -hmm. Assuming, of course, assuming your equipment is compatible with it all. Um, so it's just increasing compatibility. It's not, you're not, there's no, nothing getting taken away, just added. Uh, the, much, only, the only other thing, though, that did keep coming up is to clarify for speedrunners if there is a speed difference. Because that's, um, I think, a common misconception, and an innocent one, if I don't blame people for this, is they'll take two Nintendos, let's just say an original composite, one with the, the new NES RGB, or I guess even a better, you know, one with the original NES RGB, one with the new NES RGB. Um, they'll turn them on uh, at, at the same time, or, or they'll have a video camera in front of it, and they'll let it run for, you know, three, four days. And even if on wasn't exactly at the same time, you know, we're talking mm -hmm. days, so it's now four or five seconds apart. And I think a lot of people see that interpret and interpret it as, the new one's off or the old one's off. And I don't think they seem to understand that the tolerance of the components on that motherboard, that alone would be the same result, even if you took two stock unmodified Nesses. Am I, am I right in that thinking? Oh, Is yeah. That... It's not going to really affect the gameplay experience in any meaningful way. It's, um, it, it will change the absolute speed of the output, but by the exact amount is... A pixel is about 200 nanoseconds, per second frame. So every a frame is about for an NTSC that's about 16.6 .6 milliseconds. Mm -hmm. So double that to about 32 and um so it's 200 milliseconds, so 200 nanoseconds per 32 milliseconds. That is the very 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 tiny amount of time. Right. Um the tolerance of two different consoles would be much greater in the order of say 10 or 100 times difference. It's not anything that anyone should ever be worried about. Right. So it's just correcting the timing for the very fussy PLL inside the TV right. or, or, or um, capture card. So the, I try to make the examples as, as clear as I can for everybody. The, your average console has uh, components in it that are 5% tolerance, or I guess t up to 20 for capacitors too. And if you add all of that up, the amount of percentage difference between two, even two brand new, sealed in the box the day they were released Nintendos, you'll have more of a difference between two random ones than you would the same console with or without a degenerate in it, right? Mm. Okay, so speedrunners, you can take a deep breath. You don't have to worry about this anymore. I wonder, when the, I wonder if there's ever going to be a point where um, the, uh, things like recapped uh, consoles and you know, things like that would be not allowed to be speed run because you're technically more within a... <laughs> We're getting into a sort of crazy audiophile territory now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy that discussion very much. But as you can see from my audio setup, I picked some, you know, some very mm. decent speakers and an okay receiver. And I enjoy it in this apartment with all the sirens, screams, and murders. I enjoy it just as much as I would... The one that add a zero on to the end because mm -hmm. real life difference is what actually matters. I do love the discussions though. It does make me happy to, to go nerd into all this stuff. So. Um, I guess the next thing I remember from you was the N64 RGB. Now, did I get that right? Was that the next product? That came after NES RGB and that's basically because the NES RGB was extremely popular. Um, I'm not sure. See, the... The Nintendo 64 one, it was, it was an old project, basically. It was something I did um, around the time of the 
the Master System FM board. And mm -hmm. it wasn't a product though, you couldn't buy it. Um, but the, the source files are available, you could just make it yourself. It was mm -hmm. a DIY project. Um, I think, what uh, I don't remember exactly now. I think what happened was the, the NES RGB was extremely popular and at, um, not long after I released that, I just made this my full-time business. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided I needed more product, products and that was the first product I made afterwards. And it was very simple to make. It's a very simple device. It doesn't require any significant development time. I'd already done it. Mm -hmm. It was just something I could make in a week. So you really just whipped that one together? Yes. That's pretty impressive. Huh. And I do, uh, I do like how the firmware on that is, um, like people are able to add their own and stuff. I guess you worked with Bordy a little bit to let him have his. Oh deep no, part. he just did that all by himself. Did it, he? It's so simple that he was able to just write in firmware and invent his feature that he wanted <laughs> without any assistance from me. <laughs> uh, have you gotten a chance to talk with him at all? Oh yes, I have. Yes. What a fucking awesome guy he is. I really enjoyed hanging out with him. He came to party with me in the city last year and everything oh, when he was already visiting. So, yeah, it was cool to see. I always like to see. You know, the cool kids playing together, I guess, is the best way to put it. You know, both of you are always willing to help people, and it was neat to see, like, even if it wasn't really a collaboration, it kind of technically was, because he's using your board for the original. And then, you know, of course, he did open source his other ones, but... Oh, yes, yeah. and I've, I've now, like, released the circuit diagram and that sort of stuff for that project, hmm. just because it's not... There's nothing particularly, like, special about it. It's just a digital analog converter, just for that particular console, so... Hmm. So, uh, I mean, very awesome of you to do so. Um, now, in all the tests I've done, there, and I think I can get down to this point at about one millisecond, um, no lag was ever added through any of your products at all, at least at least uh, up to a millisecond. <laughs> no, 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 there's no frame buffer in any of my products. They mm -hmm. just they, they make the signal analog. That's, that's basically my goal, is to have a good RGB output for the ones that don't, the, the consoles which don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was told, demanded, if you will, by a few people to ask you if uh, you were going to look into Atari 7800 RGB again. Oh yes, that, that project was started. I'm not sure when I started it. Um, probably maybe 2016 or something. Um, I haven't, I, I, I've started again. I looked at my design files and I couldn't remember when I last worked on it. So. I did, I did find out it was somewhere in 2017 was the, the last time I worked on that. So I've actually made a new version, well a new, a new I've made a prototype before <coughs> and I wasn't able to actually make it work. I didn't, the hardware wasn't good enough. Um, I've made another new prototype now. This is just a 7800 because the 7800 is two consoles in one. Well, it's, it's one console with two video chips in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just working on the 7800 bit at the moment. Um, once that's done, well, if I get it, get it to work, then I'll merge the 2600 and 7800 together into one product and make it, a, hopefully make it a viable product. But it's, it, it's something which I'm working on now. So I, I do hope to have it ready maybe by early next year, maybe. That's, I, I don't know exactly, but that's the goal. That's really awesome to hear. And um, did you see that the schematics of the 7800 were found recently in the past few weeks? I have them, but that wasn't recent. That was, I've had them for years. Oh, really? I guess somebody must have reposted them and people must oh, have forgotten oh, about it then. Uh, yeah, that might be the case. Um, I've had the... Uh, they were found... I remember when the, um, the, the both the 7800 and the 2600 schematics were found. That was about... That was a long time ago. Um, the mid-2000s or something. But that was a big deal then. 
Um, and and yeah, I, I downloaded them as, as soon as I I, 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 <laughs> I got them. But um, I've had them for for a long time. That's, that's all I remember. That's funny. And uh, am I? I'm sorry, maybe the absinthe is kicking in already, but am I forgetting a product? I feel like there was one more thing that we'd always been talking about, but I get, we had Atari 2600. Yeah, the 2600. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes. That, that actually um, came about while I was developing the NES RGB. Before I released it, I thought, hey, um, this might work on the... Um, because I, I actually... Uh, because I had to go through my video game stuff, which is, you know, it's all kind of... A lot of it's kind of packed away, and it... Um, I, I, I noticed some 2600 stuff. I think, hang on, if I remember how the 2600 works, because I've done some mods on it in the past, it has these separate... Luma is, is, is output via separate pins. I thought, this could actually... It doesn't have a digital output port on the video chip, but it has these separate pins for, um, for luminance. I could... I, this might actually... I might be able to apply the same principle to that console as well. Just, um, so I actually... What I did is I, I just stopped work on... Um, on the NES RGB, and I, I got uh, the prototype. Well, one of the product I made a few, and um, I, I reprogrammed it all to work on the Atari 2600. So I actually installed one into the into the console, and it didn't it wasn't fully. I didn't have the full. I didn't have palette stuff, and, and I I think I had fewer colors. It, it was a bit restricted, but it worked. Mm-hmm. So okay, that's that's going to happen after. That's another <coughs> one I'll I'll do. So that basically came after the the Nintendo 64 one. That's awesome. That's another big game changer too, because um, you know I'm sorry to repeat myself both in this interview and every time I talk about this stuff. But if you're playing on a CRT, uh, I mean, if you're playing on a CRT and you've recapped a console, even RF is going to be decent. Composite is going to be better, and of course, S video is going to be more than good enough for most of these things. Going to RGB on an RGB monitor is always appreciated. You get to appre- appreciate all the extra detail and stuff. But any time you hit a flat screen, anything that you could do, or anything in the digital world, even capture, anything you could do to improve the picture is, is giant steps <clears throat> forward, not small steps. So when I first started doing captures of the Atari 2600 RGB, it was just like, it this looks like an emulator. Yeah, this is incredible. It, it looks like an emulator. Um, <laughs> whether that's a good thing or not, it's a bit debatable, but um, it's good if you've got all your consoles set up for RGB and you want to add this one to the group, basically. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the main reason. Um, and because you really need to mod an Atari because um, RF is very poor on these consoles. Mm-hmm. They have, um, especially some of them, uh, have, have, have had a lot of their parts removed in the video section and the, the, the buffer from the output of the video chip because it, because it outputs a digital signal, digital signal it needs more circuitry to make it into an analog one and they did a they really did a cheap job in some of the versions of that one hmm. uh, it just it's it, it looks crap so it needs um it needs something it needs a video model or something it, because by RF you're always you're going to get a very poor signal sometimes um yeah so the the it's also got um it, it does the the audio as well it doesn't have the stereo mod because that was not available on the PAL version, and I tried just trying to get it to work on both. So I have kind of a strong opinion on this, and please, please everybody, keep in mind opinion, opinion. But on the NES, uh, so there's two audio channels. I really love a tiny bit of separation. So mm. full stereo kind of sucks. You know, half and half is fine, but it's more like twenty percent separation. 
You don't notice that it's stereo, but you feel the depth difference. It's just everybody's ears are different, but I really appreciate that. But on the Atari, anything other than mono to me just sounds <laughs> weird and it drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah, so. I, I'm pretty much of the same opinion. The Atari, the Atari should be mono because the, the, the sound hardware is so basic. You really, if you if you try to separate it, it just sounds like you're you're removing something. So yeah, yeah I think that's great. Um, the Nest RGB, I've got a stereo. The, the I've got several versions of this kit and the um. Version for the Famicom is different from the others because it's got a separate audio board. Because there's a big space at the back of the console, I replaced the original RF modulator and power supply with my own one. Mm-hmm. And the power su- original power supply has got a very tiny heatsink and it needs something bigger. Mm-hmm. So I had to do it anyway. I added a, a full uh, a stereo mod, basically. It, mm-hmm. And you've got a potentiometer to select how wide you want the stereo. So you've got full stereo to mono and it, with the potentiometer to select how much separation. Yep, and if I remember correctly, that mod also incorporates the Famicom expansion audio as well. Yes, yes so it does. up as of today, there's other products coming out soon, not necessarily RGB replacements, but audio circuits that'll fix this. But as mm. of today, the only way to do that with something that is off the shelf and exists is that board, um, because that's one of the things I learned when I was still ignorant enough to think you could just tie wires together. That you got to isolate the audio channels. You have to put capacitors in front of each to make sure that. Otherwise, it changes everything. I don't want to get into it now because then we would talk for the next hour about circuits, which I would like. I don't know if anybody else would. But, um, but yeah, that, that's a great circuit now, and that's something that's coming. Uh, there's a no-cut mod for the front loader coming soon that basically just goes right from the NES RGB. Uh, it removes the entire RF. It's based off of Bordy's design, um, but instead of having you cut that plastic, where the RF jack goes, an 8-pin mini DIN or 9-pin, I think there's going to be both versions, so that you could just slide the connector right through. Uh, and I've talked to Rachel from Retro Access. Uh, she's going to make sure that when we're ready to sell it, she's got... Actually, I think her Fortra Flex cables, you know, the new real bendy ones, their barrels are already long enough to go right in. So that people that don't want to hack up a NES anymore mm. can use this. And we were talking about seeing if the stereo circuit could be added to that. So I think it is now, but they didn't rip off your design. They started from scratch. To oh, see no, it's, it's, a, it's a very standard type of circuit. It's not something I made up. It's yeah. a stereo's um, width. They're called a... Um, oh, I've forgotten the correct term. It's a, 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 a something like a sound field size circuit. Um, yeah, stereo width adjustment, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, well, that... Um, I guess at the moment it's going to be pots on the board because the one question everybody asked me was, you know, how often did I change it? And my honest opinion was when I first did the stereo mod, every every minute and a half I was messing with it. And once I figured out like 15, 20 percent separation. Yeah, that's basically the idea because no one yeah. knows um, what, you know, you don't know what you want when you first do it. You go, oh, I'm just going to listen to a bit, listen to a bit, listen to a bit. Right. Ah, there is about right. I'll play a few games and... Maybe adjust a little bit more and that's it. It's not meant for a constant adjustment. Right, yeah. So I think right now the pot's going to be on on the board. We were looking at trying to have a tiny little pot stick out where the 3-4 switch was for the RF. Um, but it's the same thing once it's in one place. So if anybody, anybody ends up getting this and they do what I do, just leave the top of your console off, stick your screwdriver in, and then you know, figure it out and put it back on. But I'm happy to see more people embracing that, and I'm happy... <laughs> that people are finally starting to realize what I meant when I said stereo mod. Most people all these years, I did one really awful video. I mean, most of my early videos were awful, but one especially awful video describing this, 
And I think I did like, here's mono, here's full stereo, and then here's like 50% and 20%. And most people listened to that video and then like turned it off after full stereo and thought that's what I was trying to tell people to do. So hopefully people will give that another chance and do just a little separation and, and see. But you know, it's, that's the beautiful thing about stuff that's preference only. If you have these choices, just pick whatever you're in the mood for. So it's awesome that uh, that you implemented it, and more people are, are trying to trying to get into that. I guess. So. so I guess we had all your existing projects, but I think I forgot to ask you the first time we talked. Like, how did you how did you get into all this stuff? How did you start doing it? Do you do this stuff for a living? It's just a hobby, or? Oh well, I have a video game collection. Well, when I was younger, um, this is a long time ago. Uh, I just picked up video game collecting this is the late 90s I just something I, I was interested in and and these are the, the very cheap games this is the older you know you're, you're two generations behind or one generation behind these games are almost free you could just go to and in Australia at that time the um, you could buy secondhand games quite cheaply because there were lots of secondhand shops around the secondhand market was quite big because there was import tariffs Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened was in 2000 they changed the tax laws so they removed the import tariffs and they added a we call it a GST it's equivalent to a sales tax here I suppose or a VAT for the Europeans okay, um, right. and so that had the effect of killing all the second hand shops within about a year or so mm. and the whole market just disappeared and it wasn't much fun to collect at that time there was eBay and so on but that wasn't really what I was interested in, so I sort of I had this video game collection which I'd amassed, and I sort of put it aside. I mean, I still bought games occasionally, but I didn't actually go out and just collect all like all the stuff I could find as a like a crazy man <laughs> <laughs> collecting all this um, interesting stuff because there was just so much. I mean, Australia didn't get all the ones that you got in the US, but there was a fair amount of stuff. Um, so that sort of sat there, and I was interested in electronics, so I, I, I eventually became a TV repair technician. So, oh no shit! Yeah, um, that I did that for a while, and um, eventually I could see that it wasn't going to last much longer. That was from about um, 2002 to 2000. I I could see things were going down around you know, 2005, and uh, 2008 is when it actually that was it. There were no more TVs to be repaired, and I would would repair other things at the time, and. Um, I, and in two thousand in oh eight, I got um, went back to technical college, and I got um, sort of more qualified, and I, I wanted to become a design engineer. Then, um, I, eventually, I, I, I did find a job in that, so I did work in that, and that's what I was working in. And, and I, I also tried to start my own business, and that's what the, um, at, the at the time of the Skype to Jammer one. That's when I thought I would. In 2010, I thought I would be able to do that, but I, I didn't have the skills. I, I didn't have the experience. I'd, I've got the the book skills, but I don't have the um the actual hard experience. I've just mm-hmm. I've, I've got the um college degree, but um, if a technical college. Um yeah, so I got a job as a design engineer for um a consultancy. Mm-hmm. They they made factory equipment basically. So I did that for. Two and a half years, and that's when I, I was developing the NSIGP during that time, and yeah, I, it it was not paying that well, and the NSIGP was making more money than my job, so I decided yes, I'm very much interested in doing this full time, and, and uh, yeah, it looked more, far more interesting. 
That's awesome. And, and you know, I got to say on behalf of everybody, thank you. Because, you know, if you hadn't done this stuff, a lot of people wouldn't have the same experience gaming that they do. So we're, we're happy that you did. I got to ask, though, being a TV technician, what was some weird shit because, that you've seen? Because one of my favorite ones, after all of my word vomit of CRT safety and you could die and don't die, we're, we were right there, right where that light is. And we had that TV that's sitting over there. And uh, Jose was over. And he goes to discharge it, and I go to reach in to start unbolting, and he goes, wait a minute. I went, what? And he puts the screwdriver in, and it popped again, even yeah. though he fully discharged it. And he goes, I told you. <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't discharge the first time. You've got to do it. It's like, well, the, the trick, what you usually do, if you really want to discharge it, and you really want it to be discharged, you get the crocodile clip, and you clip it from the, the ground strap to the, clip it into the, uh, they call it the nipple, I think. And leave it in there. Yeah, and leave it in there. You just leave it in there. Just Leave it shorted, and That's that way funny. it can't recharge. It's only recharges a little bit, but um, it does give you a bit of zap. Um, yeah, well, doing TV tech stuff was quite. It was, it was a lot of fun because this is, um, TVs are quite good in that they've got lots of high voltage, lots of danger, lots of <laughs> dirt, and um, they've also got digital tuners and things. So it's also lots of sensitive stuff sitting next to lots of crazy, you know. Um, rough stuff so that, that it's good to it's good to work on uh, sort of machines like that which is just it's got everything in there um, I enjoy it a lot but I don't enjoy the flat ones they're not much fun to work on at all especially yeah. as they've got so many screws in them and they're not really they, they're built in a certain way to, to be assembled quickly but not repaired right so they're, they're really not much good to um, work on um, yeah I, I just I, I just wasn't interested after there's no more TVs and I'm not just like, no, no more but um, so you did? Uh, did you do arcade stuff too, and TVs, or no, just? No, I've never done arcade stuff. Oh, okay. So um, I mean, any any experience or anything you could offer for that working on CRTs? Were there some that you really liked over others? Were there, you know, hor- horrible garbage models that you see? I got a bunch of mechanics as friends, so like sometimes they'll open the hood of a car and be like, "Don't ever buy this year this model. You'll die after two years." <laughs> Um, it's very big distinction between the European TVs and the Chinese, Japanese TVs. They, they've got totally different ideas of what to, how to design a product. Uh, I worked, spent most of my time working for a company who specialised in European TVs. Like Luva, B&O and stuff like that? Uh, we, uh, the brands were Grundig, Luva and Metz. Mm-hmm. They were the three that we worked on. And I even went, um, Metz actually flew... Um, my boss and myself out to, out to Melbourne for a, a service uh, conference thing and yeah, all the service agents in the state were flying there and that, and that was in either, I think it was in 07 so that was really at the end of the life of, um, mm-hmm. of CRTs and they, they had LCD models at that time but um, they did talk about this, the, the, the last of their, their CRTs as well and they were quite they're big widescreen things um, with digital tuners and, and lots of digital boards and things like that. They were yeah, quite fancy. I remember um, I just for whatever crazy reason, I've always been in the right place at the right time for TVs. So I first got a Luva Aconda, which in the US and remember this is also before uh, before the internet blew up as big as it did, so local stores would have would buy things for a thousand and sell them for six thousand. And now, you know, after the internet blew up, there's no way anybody can get away with that anymore. There's no more markups. But still, it was 
$5,500 in the local shops, and I think I got it for 1200 bucks. And then a few years later, I got the Articos 32, the one with the movable stand where you press the button and the TV swiggle. I love that one. Yes, yes. I got that for like two grand, and that was way more than that in the stores. And I gave the first one for my father. Um, and we, we kept those a, a good five years past uh, flat screens. So when your average person was buying one, because mm. it was so far better still. And I think they were 1080i tubes, so you're even technically watching interlaced and not even progressive. But at that time, it was still so far better. Terrible for classic gaming, because you're still interlacing progressive scan games. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's good for TV, though. Um, For DVDs especially, that was 480i at the time. Like, that was... You couldn't get any better than those TVs. I loved those. Did you ever really work on any of those? Um, Yeah, well, yes, I, I... I didn't work on the TVs themselves. What happens was the service guy goes, drives there, pulls the chassis out, and I work on the chassis itself. And I don't know the model numbers either. I only know the chassis numbers, which is a, a number on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different number from the model number. So I don't really... I mean, I know those words, like Arcos and, and the other ones. And um, yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard of them, but I don't I can't match them to any chassis, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, I just... Yeah, I do remember that movable stand, though. There was one in the workshop for a while. I was playing with it. Yeah, that's so much fun. I got on my personal channel. I had um, I just got a video of it because when I sold it, I was absolutely heartbroken. But I was like, I can't. You know, I, I would carry all these by myself. And although I'm much fatter now than I normally was, I was also at least strong. But I'm still at the point of like a 200 pound TV. I'm tired of carrying that every time I move. So I got rid of it, and uh, I put a video on YouTube of it just because I uh, I just loved it so much, and it got a ton of views. I was lucky, too, that a kid bought it, like a 16-year-old kid. And as I'm helping him load it into his dad's truck, I just went, hey, I don't, I'm not being disrespectful or anything, but do you know what you're buying? Or, or like, are you just buying a cool TV? And he goes, he just basically, like, spit out all the specs and why he's buying it. I'm like, oh, it's, it's, it's going to the right place. Okay, kid, you enjoy this. I'm so glad about that. It's not just some, somebody that wanted a tube or anything. But, yeah, that was cool. I always loved that, though, just... It would always freak people out, especially with, you know, not to offend anybody, but sometimes we'd get fucking blasted. Somebody would go, oh, you know, they'd be sitting on the other couch. Hey, can you see okay? And I'd press a button and the TV would just (laughs) move towards them. Always good shit. But, yeah, um, so I guess, do you still work on CRTs now? Do you ever do any of the RGB mods or stuff like that to them? Um, no, no, I don't. I mean, I've got some and I will repair them when they break, but I don't. I don't go out of my way to work on and it's not like anyone asked me to repair a CRT TV of course that doesn't happen mm. <laughs> um, yeah so no it's, it's just I, I do occasionally just have a look and try and remember how they work but I don't, I don't have regular practice so I, now I'm, I'm completely out of practice and um, I haven't done it for a while like, you lose these skills if you don't practice them yeah oh absolutely it's still funny though how you're uh how you had a, some root in working on CRTs and how relevant that is now to the mm. things that you sell. Well, that's sort of, yeah, yeah, very much. Well, that's sort of where I, uh, I didn't know about RGB inputs. And, I mean, in Australia, we have SCART inputs only on the European TVs. And some of the Chinese models, which are also sold in Europe, um, brands like TIAC, for example, often, which is an Australian brand of a Chinese TV, which mm-hmm. is probably sold somewhere in Europe under a different brand. All right. Um, is they've often got Skype connectors and they're fully wired up for RGB and 
I didn't know about this until uh, working as a technician. I saw this thing and wondered what it is. So I look it up and it's RGB. And what's RGB like in the context of this? And oh, it's, it's a game consoles can output this. And I, oh, all right, oh, I should get myself one for at home then. So I bought one of these cheap Chinese TVs with the SCART socket. And um, oh, all right, and, and, and connected. Wow, that looks fantastic. <laughs> and, and so on. So uh, yeah, um, that's how I, I introduced myself to RGB and, and the idea because when I was collecting video games I knew nothing of this mm-hmm. um, and what happens generally if um, someone's got one of these TVs and I saw this myself when doing um, ha- house calls for the, uh, picking up TVs with the, um, the road service guys almost everybody will put a SCART adapter with three composite left right and use that no RGB SCART leads never no no it's got to be the Cause yeah. a video with a SCART every single time. That's funny. I never saw any game console hooked up with a SCART lead. That's funny. You know, um, I remember my my first introduction to to SCART and I'll or to RGB and I'll say names here and you got to tell the like the Australian equivalents. But I remember going into uh, electronic electronics boutique, which I guess eventually is GameStop. Was there like a big? We've game got that in Australia. Electronics boutique yeah. back then. All right. And uh, there was some, some kid just older than me. So if I was like 10 or 11, he was probably like 16. And I, we were marveling over the new Genesis game. And uh, he, you know, one of the guys that worked there, and he was like, you got to see this on an RGB monitor, though. And I went, I think I have one of those at home. And he goes, you got to get it to work on it. So I went home. I had a Tandy 1000 with the CRT. And you know, it was a 15 kilohertz monitor with direct RGB input. It was probably better or or the same or worse than a like a consumer tv it just goes direct rgb in and i i remember the only way i could try to go get information is i went to a radio shack do you guys have that piece of crap store out there it's called tandy in australia yeah all right it's the tandy computers from radio shack Mm. um and i asked if they had converters and they they said well we don't really make them uh, you could try to make your own. So if you want to go buy these books on it and want to go make your own circuit, you know, like 11 years old or something. And I bought the books and I looked into it and I was way over my head for 11 at that time. There was no Google. So mm. it's all whatever was in the book. And then, so that was it. I knew that there was something called RGB and I knew that I can get better out of the consoles. And it wasn't until I was like 30 where I decided like, you know, hey, I think I played uh, Zelda on a Wii and went, well, it's not quite right. How can I make it right? And that's when I went back and went, let me look into this RGB stuff. You know, I think I could afford to look into this now. And then, you know, nine, ten years later, here, here we are. Just mm. <laughs> So that's hysterical. Yeah, Europeans are probably laughing at us now. Yeah, all the time Europeans are laughing at me. Like, all we had to do was go into their version of software, et cetera, electronics boutique, buy a cable. Mm. And now they're, they're doing the same thing. I even got, I finally got a European TV, a little nine inch. It's a brand called Brian Vega. So it's made, it was made in 2003 to look like a 1960s TV with that like space age 60s look. And the SCART inputs both NTSC and PAL and RGB. So it's like Mm. a fun little collector's item crap thing I have. But yeah, that's pretty funny. So, oh well. Uh, so, do you have any other projects uh, coming up other than the new um, the new SCART to JAMA stuff going on? Yeah, I've got some. I've got a few small products which <coughs> I've I've had sitting around for a long time. Um, 
it, again, it's part of the, the Skyter Jam was sort of a um, an idea, and that there was I was going to make other parts for it. Um, it didn't. I, I had this idea where I was going to make a Skat switcher, which would sit on top of the Frame Master. Frame Master was the most popular scaler several years ago. Right. Um, it's now. I don't think it's still, probably still available now, but it's probably not. Days are numbered. Discontinued, but still available to purchase. Yeah. But not at all the best choice. Mm. So, um, so I've actually gone ahead and produced this thing anyway <laughs> because I'm sick of. I, I made it. Um, just it fits directly on top of the Frame Meister, and it has four Skype inputs. Um, one output and it, it has a mini DIN output so it could be used with um, the f- a direct short cable for the frame master mm-hmm. or f- with um, a longer one with a, a SCART to mini DIN on the, on the output anyway it as well as going to double as a, a switcher for the the um, SCART to jammer thing if I if you needed that oh cool okay this was just it, because I was I, I, I designed this years ago because I looked at the state of SCART switches and they were seem, seemingly going to disappear. That was difficult. In some countries, it was very difficult to buy one. Mm-hmm. It's still about the same situation today where they're available, but they're not, the, 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 uh, they might not be available in the near future. So well, I thought the, I needed um, one in, in, that, in the case of that eventuality. Yeah, the, the G SCART switch, that one, uh, so Super G uh, is, is, he doesn't want to make them anymore. But he's making sure that they're being made by mm. people. So he's licensing out everything. So as far as retro gamers go, if you're able to purchase something from the U.S. and pay whatever your import tax and your shipping is and everything, and you need something with the auto switching and the sync regeneration and all that, it is like the top of the line awesome switch that will be available for the short term. You know, when I say short term years, I think I say sometimes people misunderstand that. I'm thinking in terms of like Intel you know, their short terms three to five years, mm-hmm. long terms ten plus. So, you know, he's definitely keeping it available. But you're right to make something like that, and there needs to be choices that are available because there aren't many. The Otaku switch from Hong Kong is very good, very cheap. It's just a basic manual chi- uh, mm-hmm. switch. Uh, but I, I've heard that people have had obviously with everything that's going on there now, people have having a hard time picking them up. So anything you could do to make sure that this stuff lives on longer than we do is always appreciated yeah I just wanted a smaller uh, just a four input one and auto switching I, I very much think auto switching is the way to go mm-hmm. um, and I, I have a plastic case which that sits in and I, I it's, it splits in two it's an off the shelf case and so I was I, I decided to produce so I've actually um, that will probably be released soon mm-hmm. um, within a month or so um, and it, well, it's, been, it's it, sorry. It's being produced. I will probably sell them with it soon okay. because it's just going through the, the testing and, and pre-production stage. Um, and I've got these cases left over. I, I, I've got, uh, the case comes in two parts. It's an off-the-shelf one. Mm-hmm. It splits in two, and I use half of it for the switch, and half of it is the other half of the shell. It's, it's very similar, but it's got a different pattern on it. It, it has a different screw because they, they fit together and they screw together. Okay. Um, so I thought I needed a product which could go into this other half of the shell. I wasn't going to waste all these half shells. So I made an... This is just because I had the shell. Um, it's an RGB attenuator for a super gun, basically. Oh. So a digital one, though, because I don't like these potentiometer-based solutions. I think they, um, they have error in them, and they also... Basically, the, the common way of doing it is to put a, a pot in series with the 
three pots and series with the RGB outputs of an arcade board to attenuate the signal so it can be connected to a TV. It works, but it loads the output a bit, so it, that means every board is going to react to that differently. Mm-hmm. So if you have three boards which output the same amplitude, uh, just just without a load, and you connect them to this, this potentiometer setup, they'll actually react to it differently and each output different levels once you've connected this heavy load to it. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. And also, they, you know, they don't actually output the same level. They all output a bit of a different level. And right. in three, three pots at once is kind of hard to keep. I know people often use a multi-gang pot, but the tolerance of those things are terrible. It's, it's yeah, there, there's two major problems. So the gang pots people hate because the tolerance are terrible and because if you do all three at the same time, they're always off. Uh, we mm. just just the other day we're messing with a board where green was twenty millivolts yeah. lower, and you know you think twenty millivolts. All right, you're not going to notice it. You do. You absolutely do. And so, especially if you love the game, you go right in going. The colors off here. The, the whites don't look white. It's right. like white paint. You, you see the, the white catalog, and they've got all these different, slightly different shades of white. <laughs> well, people do notice those differences. That's why there's so many of them. Yeah. It's 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 got to be right. So um. Yeah, it's a digital attenuator, so you just dial in the amount and it will do that and it will load this. Uh, okay, it'll change a little bit, but it'll be mostly constant. Um, that's just sort of a cheap product I can put in this case. So I thought some people might like it. It also does the audio atten- attenuation as well. So is this, is it JAMA in, RGB audio it's, out? It's or? not, a, um, it's got no JAMA connector. It's just a, a box with a connector. Um, for the input, uh, it's it's a kind of JST connector, okay. and it it will supply. It will take. It basically, you have your super gun, and you have it has its own attenuation circuit, which is inferior, and you connect this one to it, and um, the output is it's got two outputs. It's got a SCART output, and it's also got a, a VGA output, which is just the same signal through a VGA connector with a RGBS through it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and. Um, it's in case you want to do capturing via capture cards. Mm-hmm. I thought that might be more useful than two cards. Yeah, um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so that's the idea behind that. Um, yeah, so that's going to that's gonna be produced soon. It hasn't been produced yet. So. so that is going to be a huge seller, and here's how I could promise you why. Um, and this is something that people still get really mad at me for saying, but I don't even give a shit. Uh, most of these super guns for years were designed by arcade techs for arcade techs or, or by people that didn't know what they were doing, for other people that didn't know what they were doing. So, you know, you, from one arcade tech to another, you, you know that the audio voltage is too high to put in something that's SCART rated. You know what's going on, so you grab your scope, or you'll, you know, you'll start as low as possible and bring it up till it's just good enough, and, you know, people realize that. But now that these things are getting more and more popular, you have somebody that does something like, you know, an RGB out of a, uh, of a super gun, people think that they could just plug that into their equipment. And there have been, I don't want to name names or anything, but there have been uh, arcade events where things are dropping off one right after the other. And it's, some of them are even on stream. So you'll see people playing, and next thing you know, you know, just there's no more signal because the super gun that was running the arcade boards killed the video processor that was sending it to the thing. So that's a big thing. I'm working on a video called... Uh, Super gun safety, where I basically go in and I try from a, a layman's point of view to tell people like, here's how not to kill your equipment. Here's this is all you need to know on how to not ruin your stuff. And luckily, there's stuff like the Hass out there now, the home arcade system where it's designed specifically so that you can't 
from the factory, you can't plug a board in and ruin, ruin your stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I always try to warn people, if you buy a used Hass, who knows what people set the jumpers to, so be careful. But that's a, that's, I'm so glad you made that product. That's going to be, uh, I, will help, I will help promote that till I'm blue in the face so that all of these alter- arcade tournaments who have these crazy, you, I'm sure you've seen the super guns with like, it's basically just a J-Rock with 300 feet of cable coiled into it around each yeah, other. Yeah, they're just like a wiring loom thing and with oh. some um, pots and switches and that sort of stuff in there. Absolutely. That's generally the idea. Yeah. So I thought if you had one of these already, you would want you wouldn't want to buy another. You could buy another one, of course, but you, you I would just here's an extra bit you can tack onto it. You can stick it on and mm. have a cable going to it, and it's sort of it's in its own enclosure, so it's not just a bunch of wires, and it could just be stuck on some box of some sort. That's the idea. It's just a, uh, I need to get rid of these shells. No, that's that is a hundred percent a great product, and uh. I know, I know personally three or four people that when they listen to this interview, they're going to be, they're going to be applauding when they hear you say that before you even finish. So thank you. I would have never even thought to do something like that. That's a really cool product. And isn't it neat how sometimes when you have situations like this, I need to get rid of this, you know, this box. What do I do with it? How do you solve another problem? With <laughs> because solving? most of my products, they don't have enclosures. They are they go into other consoles. So this is my, the Scott which was the first time I'd actually made a product which was. It's set by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, because I had to get, I, I get these um, enclosures done, yeah, I, I've got two of them just because of the weight. I don't want to throw them out. That's absolutely awesome. So um, I was about to say where could people find you, but you're, you're not anywhere. You're not on any social media. You sometimes no. post on shmups occasionally. Occasionally, and, and I've got an email address. That's Which you sometimes happy. respond to. <laughs> no, generally, if, if someone sends me an email, um, I generally do read it, but I don't always have time to reply. If someone thinks I should reply, um, it's best to email me again. If Just again and again and again. <laughs> and eventually, I'll say, oh, shit, <laughs> I should reply to this. That's the best way to Gotcha. Okay. Well, well, I do generally try to reply to most things. Sometimes I, I don't get to it though. No, understandable. You're you're a busy guy. So, uh, the website in order, uh, in which people could order your parts. You want to let, let everybody know what that is, so they know where to buy them. Yes, that's at um, etim.net.au. Okay. Slash shop. Slash shop. <laughs> and everything you make is still available there, including the um, the Game Gear TV board and everything like that. Yeah, the Game Gear TV board doesn't sell very well these days. Um, I probably will eventually get rid of that one. That one's the, the um, I think I'll run out of stock in about a year's time, which is not much stock, but I just sell it. Because there are other products now which basically have have superseded it, and I, I just let them take it. I don't, I don't mind. Yeah, it, it's... Um it's it's both sad and it's not. It's sad that you have this very cool, unique product that you know it's now essentially end of life. But it's not sad in the fact that five years ago, in order to get your Game Gear on a TV, you'd have to find a Game Gear, definitely recap it, install your kit, cut something, or come up with a creative way to use the Player Two as the video output, and then you get a very cool experience. Whereas now you could buy an analog Mega SG and play the ROMs on it. So you know for Arguably the same price because well, if you can't do all the work yourself, exactly yes. That's so uh, you know. Hopefully, you'll at least keep the design around for people that want to. The, the original hardware really means a lot to them. Mm. Uh, but I'm glad that there are choices because Game Gears are a fucking nightmare. <laughs> they are, and they're all sort of falling apart now. Um, all at least the caps are and yeah. the screens are. Yeah, 
generally. Yeah, so they're just falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for doing all this. I can't thank you enough for coming here and hanging out. It's so good to meet you after all these years. We've been mm-hmm. talking for six, seven years now or something like that. Or more like me just bothering you for six or seven years. <laughs> Whatever. So thank you very much. Um, uh, we'll keep in touch, and uh, hopefully I'll see you again at some point in the future, and we'll do another one of these. Yep. Yeah. All right. Take care.